Let's get started. I just want to give you guys a quick update. As you know, I was gone last week, and I appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity to get away. I was at a junior high camp up in Minnesota, um, and it's actually a Lutheran camp crazy as that sound and I didn't know what to expect it's the most disorganized organized camp I've ever been a part of how I had no itinerary when I left I didn't know what was I didn't even know when the camp ended so I didn't know what was happening and uh, so we get up there and whatnot and we had about a dozen junior high kids which is good and what, what, what you saw Brian Young do is what we did all week we sat down with them and showed them biblical truth on the foundations of where we came from, how we're here, all of that kind of stuff. A lot of what you kind of heard in that Worldview series that we did in the beginning of the year. And two, I had one young lady, she's a freshman in high school, and we get all done with it. She comes up to me, she's like, I cannot wait for science class next year. And I said, why is that? She's like, because I couldn't answer anything. She's like, I, I believed in God, I believed in all of that kind of stuff, but I didn't understand because they're telling me something totally different, and they basically said, I'm just stupid. And she's like, they're stupid. I said, well, yeah, just stick with that. Stick with the Bible, you'll be all right. But what amazed me is sitting there, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about the Lutheran beliefs and things like that, but sitting with these people and hearing their heart for God, these guys love God, like better, honestly, more intense than some of the charismatic folk would. Even hearing them use the word Holy Spirit shocked me. They're like, you know, we feel like the Holy Spirit's leading us to do this. I'm like, no, no, you're Lutheran. That's not, Holy Spirit's not in your vocabulary. It was amazing. Um, it was a real eye-opener for me. A lot of fun, a lot of work in the camp. I think there will be a lot of fruit out of it. But just to join forces like that and come together, and, you know, obviously we have some doctrinal differences, and all of that doesn't matter because we're just preaching Jesus. That's what we do. And so it was a lot of fun. So I appreciate you all letting me get away and, and do that. It was definitely good, and, and definitely I think there will be a lot of good fruit out of that. So anyhow, I told you today is going to be different, and it is, because we're starting a new series called Spiritual Warfare. Um, and... This is one of those, I almost hesitate to even start it. And the reason for that is, is I don't know if you've ever noticed, but as you begin to um, get into something, to learn about something, to really dive into Scripture, it seems like the enemy comes and attacks you more in different in those areas that you're dealing with. Keeps you from finding the truth as much as possible, discourage you in some way. And so when you talk about spiritual warfare, we're literally going to talk about the armor of God and how we do warfare against the enemy. And so we need to be of, of good and strong heart that we understand that God is bigger than all of this. God is bigger than this world. He's bigger than everything that's going on. We need to understand that. And so today, I actually have one passage of Scripture. Okay, one. Because I'm going to do... Just a very basic introduction on this, but there's some stuff going on in this world that I want to talk about. As your pastor, I don't typically deal with current events and things like that, but when we get into spiritual warfare, especially with some of the nonsense that's going on, we need to really see from the spiritual application what's happening. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians 10. And honestly, this passage here is going to be the foundation of which this entire series is built upon. We'll probably read it every single week. When we get done, I hope you can recite it verbatim. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but 
being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not, hold, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we are walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This very powerful passage. And there's a lot in here. And think about, just for a minute, think about what you see when you read your newspaper or turn on the news or, or turn on anything. Get online, social media. If you've not noticed that in this country, more so today than probably any time in this country's history, we are seeing an all-out attack against the church. And ultimately, when you attack the church, you're attacking God. And understanding where this has come from and how it's happened. You look at the homosexual movement that is going on. And it is mind-boggling how we are so messed up that we can't see the truth in this. And the problem is, is that we in Christian, as Christians, we want to go and fight. It's like, no, 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 that's not right because God said. Or, 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 or you know, back in the 90s and stuff, living together suddenly was embraced. Now, it had happened a long time. But a, a, a man and a woman living together in a married lifestyle without actually being married in a covenant before God wasn't celebrated as much all of a sudden in the 90s. It's the norm. And today, my goodness, that's just what happens. I see young teenagers coming out of youth groups that they've gone to their entire life, love God, believe in God, all of that kind of stuff. And then the first thing they do when they're 19 years old, move in with their boyfriend. Why? Because that's what the world tells them to do. Most of them don't even associate it with being wrong. And the acts, they do. It's not the living together that's the bad part. It's what happens when you do. And so here we are. We've got all of this stuff going on. And why? Why is all-out blatant attack on Christianity? You look around the world, and we think we've got it bad, but we're still alive. Around the world, it's just getting stronger and stronger. Why the acceptance of Islam? All of a sudden, this is a peaceful religion. Yeah, there's a few radicals, but we got worse Westboro on our side, so they're radical too. You know? So why all of a sudden are we embracing a religion that literally says in their holy book that kill everybody who doesn't agree with you? Opposite of what the Bible says. What is going on? It's a spiritual battle. What happens is we screw up. This is where we make the mistake. Number one, our churches don't preach biblical truth. We don't teach the Bible. Or, if they do teach the Bible, they do it. Pastors have been doing this for the last 20 or so years from a standpoint of which you must rely upon me in order to understand Scripture. They're no longer teaching you. How do you go and read this and study it for yourself so that you can glean it directly from God? They've elevated themselves to a status of almost lordship which was never God's intention. Read everything about what a pastor's job and in Ephesians 2, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Very simple. How do you equip the saints? You give them the tools necessary to be successful. What did Jesus tell them to do? Feed my sheep. Who are the sheep? The church is the sheep. Who is the shepherd? Ultimately Christ. And then the pastor underneath of that to feed you and help you to learn how to do it on your own. But we quit doing that. We stopped doing that. We quit 
educating our, our children at home. And I'm not talking homeschool, which we happen to do, but that's irrelevant. I'm talking that we pass their entire education off to the public school system. Okay, that's fine. That can be a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But we're not working with them at home. We're not teaching them the Bible at home. They get church on Sunday. They maybe get it on Wednesday. So let's just call that two hours a week. And yet they got, what, 20, 30 hours a week sitting being indoctrinated with, with nothing that has anything to do with God. In fact, it's an all-out attack on Christianity. So 20 or 30 hours a week, they're being assaulted on their beliefs. And yet Sunday, two hours a week is enough? We're not taking it with them at home and teaching them how do they read their Bible. My own parents, who are great people and love God, were as guilty as this as anybody. My entire life through school, I barely made it from one year to the next because I was lazy. I hated homework. Love to learn, hate being told what to learn. So if you tell me to learn algebra, that means I want to go learn calculus. But if I'm in calculus, that means I probably want to go back and learn algebra just because you're telling me to do it. That's just how I was. And so they weren't keeping an eye on me. They didn't teach me how to read my Bible, how to study. They didn't teach me how to pray. They didn't teach me any of that stuff. And it's not that they're bad people. They're busy. My dad had a business that today is successful, but when I was in school, I mean, we were broke. He was struggling to make ends meet, just getting by, doing all of this stuff. And so he was busy. So when he got home, we didn't have time to go throw the ball out. He wasn't sitting, all right, son, here's how you, you do this. My parents didn't get born again until I was probably eight, seven, eight, somewhere in there. So honestly, they were learning themselves. But they tried. They did the best they can. But what happens is when my parents do it, then the natural thing to do, I'm going to copy what my parents did. That's just what happens naturally. Naturally, that's what we do. My children are likely going to copy what I do. And so it's important that we do this. And it's like, where did we go wrong? When did this start? And it goes back a long time. This didn't happen overnight. The world we live in today is a byproduct of the effectiveness and strength of the body of Christ for the last however many years. You've seen a trickle away from God year after year. Here's the thing, though. When you do the Gallup polls, you look at the statistic, the church is still strong. The church is still doing really well. There's still lots of people going to church, but the qualifications of it have changed. You see, you look at, 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 at back in 1900, the eighth grade exit exam. I would guarantee there's not anybody in this room that would pass it today to get out of eighth grade. I tried. I'm just happy I spelled my name right on it. You know, it was unreal. And there was no multiple choice and there was no true false. It was all essay. But these kids were smart. They knew their stuff. They were educated. They were taught how to learn and whatnot. They weren't just taught what they wanted them to know. It's all changed. And so here we have this, this indoctrination that goes on and we're feeding them and all of this stuff. And we've got this spiritual battle that is going on that started because of the church being weak. You look at the Scopes Monkey Trial, which introduced evolution into the schools, which ultimately led to the, we can no longer pray, we can no longer read our Bible, we can't even carry a Bible in schools anymore, or you're going to get grief. All because of the Scopes Monkey Trial. If you're not familiar with that, let me tell you what it was. It all started from Nebraska man. Nebraska man was the Cro-Magnum man or whatever you want to call him, this, this missing link, whatnot, that they discovered that proved it was this intercessory thing from, from animal to man. This proves it. This proves evolution is true. Let's throw God out the window. And they go to trial. They win. We lose. 
And so it began this downward trickle. And what's interesting is that entire creature that they created, I should have got a picture of it, I didn't even think about it, this hairy looking man and all of that was from one tooth. They found one tooth and from that they created this entire thing and won a court case based off that evidence. That one tooth doesn't tell us if that thing had hair on it. It doesn't tell us how tall it was. It doesn't tell us what it did. That one tooth is what won that trial. And what's interesting is a few years later, it turns out that was a pig's tooth. But when citing the, the case against creation versus evolution, basically God versus everything else, they go back to that trial, even though it's been proved false. Why did that happen? Weak church. Think about back at a time where the church was literally the light of the town. The pastors were literally basically the spiritual and moral guidelines for the towns. No matter what happened, a pastor would walk in and was like, hello, Reverend, how are you today? Whether they went to church or not, incredibly respectful. That doesn't happen today, you know. And not that we need to be up on our high horse or, you know, bow down before or anything like that. But it was this awe. It was less respect um, for the individual, but more for the vehicle which God uses, the man of God, so to speak. And here we are. And what do we do? We like to go chopping at branches. And we'll get into this a lot more. I'm just going to touch on this. But I want you to think about it. What are, what are things that God hates? He hates homosexuality. And he hates fornication. And there's all this drunkenness, lewdness, all of this stuff that goes on. And what do we do? We see this. We got the homosexual movement now. So we're going through and we're chopping at that branch. And we're chomping at that branch. And then, and then we see something else going on. We run over there. We try to chop that branch. And the problem is we keep chopping branches. We're so busy doing that. We never get to the root. Those, so when we get distracted from this one and we're over here fighting this one, this one's going to grow back. That's what they do. But we never get to the root. And the root of it is the fact that this world needs Jesus desperately. That's the problem. We are no longer out there portraying Christ. We are no longer out there being Christ. We're not loving our neighbor. We're not loving God. We're, we're playing church. That's what we're doing. We feel good because we're in. It's like a social club. We're in. Hopefully you come in, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go out of my way to make that happen. We missed the root of it. I actually had a, a pastor friend of mine call, and, and he was struggling with some of these different stuff, and I don't mean personally, but dealing with some of these different issues. And I said, man, we can fight this this way. We can go over there. We can go out there and protest, and all of those things are fine. But the problem is, is that these people need Christ. They need Jesus. Jesus is the only way this is ever going to change. A heart that is changed to God is the only way this world will ever change. And his response to me was a little disheartening. He said, while I, I agree with your premise, that's just likely not going to happen. If we have our pastors saying that, how can we expect anybody else to say, we've got to win this world for Jesus? And so here we are. Something happened this week. There was a shooting in Charleston. I don't know if you heard about it. A young man goes into a church. I think people were having a Bible study. There's nine of them. And he kills them all. I've got a picture of him, Daniel, if you can pull it up, just in case you didn't see who he was. But his name is Dylan Roof. I think he was 21 years old. That's a picture off his Facebook page, burning the American flag. This is a product of our school systems. 
a product of the world we live in today. And I want to read you some quotes that were on his Facebook page. And Daniel, you can just leave that up there for a while. He said this, I have no choice. I am not in the position to, alone, go into the ghetto and fight. I chose Charleston because it is the most historic city in my state and at one time had the highest ratio of blacks to whites in the country. Now, some of this, bear with me, it gets a little racy, but we have no skinheads, no real KKK, no one doing anything but talking on the Internet. Well, someone has to have the bravery to take it to the real world, and I guess that has to be me. Segregation was not a bad thing, it was a defensive measure. Segregation did not exist to hold back Negroes, it existed to protect us from them. And I mean that in multiple ways. Not only did it protect us from having to interact with them and from being physically harmed by them, but protected us from being brought down to their level. Integration has done nothing but bring whites down to the level of brute animals. Anyone who thinks that white and black people look as different as, as we do on the outside, but are somehow magically the same on the inside, is delusional. How could our faces, skin, hair, and body structure all be different, but our brains be the exact same? This is the nonsense we are led to believe. Negroes have lower IQs, lower impulse control, and higher testosterone levels in general. These three things alone are a recipe for violent behavior. If a scientist publishes a paper on the differences between the races in Western Europe or Americas, he can expect to lose his job. There are personal, personality traits within human families and within different breeds of cats or dogs, so why not within the races? A horse and a donkey can breed and make a mule, but they're still two completely different animals. Just because we can breed with the other races doesn't make us the same. If that doesn't break your heart, that a young 21-year-old man truly believes this to the point that he not just, you know, um, believes it in his mind, but actually acted upon it. Because of this belief, he began something, and his whole goal, from what I've read, was he wanted to start a race war. He wanted what was going on up in Baltimore, what went down, down in Ferguson. He wanted that to start there because we need to eradicate this lesser person, this evolutionary mistake that hasn't come as far as up. We need to get rid of them so that we can have a higher quality race. And if you know your history, those words should sound very familiar to you because Adolf Hitler said the same thing. There is a spirit behind this. This is a delusional young man because we all know that we are one blood, we are one race. The Bible tells us that. In fact, science even tells us that. We're one blood. There's slight differences. And you can see in this from the words, especially since you guys got to hear what Brian had to say when he was here about these different interbreedings and all that kind of stuff, that there's limitations to that and whatnot, but after their own kind. God made us man and woman and all of that. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Because here are people that were worshiping God. And I saw something that, that the response to this has been interesting. Because obviously the whole country is against this for the most part. I mean, there are people obviously that, that may celebrate that. But, but they're saying that this is a travesty. And yet they've lost sight of that these were Christian people. And a lot of them have already said that they forgive them. Forgive them. And it's actually upset some Christians that they said they forgave them.
They said, because all this shows is that the church is weak. And that Jesus wasn't weak. And that he's, you know, he said, forgive your brother, but he said, forgive the sinner. There was a man named Marcus Stanley who went on this young man's Facebook wall and wrote some of the most powerful words I think I've ever read in light of a tragedy such as this. You can go to that next picture. This is him. He's nothing special. He lives in Charleston. I believe he has some ties to the church. In fact, that church is having service right now. Let me read you what he wrote. I don't know you, but when I searched for your name from the news outlets, it led me here. You're not captured yet, so there is a chance that you may see this message. I don't look at you with the eyes of hatred or judge you by your appearance or race, but I look at you as a human being that made a horrible decision to take the lives of nine living and breathing people. Children do not grow up with a hatred in their hearts. In this world, we were born colorblind. Somewhere along the line, you were taught to hate people that are not like you, and that is truly tragic. You have accomplished nothing from this killing but planting seeds of pain that will forever remain in the hearts of the families that lost their lives in countless hearts around our country. If you're still out there and you have your phone with you, give your heart to Jesus and confess your sins with a heart of forgiveness. He is the only one that can save your soul and forgive you of the terrible act that you have done. I love you, Dylan. Even in the midst of the darkness and pain you've caused, but more importantly, He loves you. If you would like to make this confession, then repeat these words. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner and I am sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that your only begotten Son of Jesus Christ shed His precious blood on the cross of Calvary and died for my sins, and I am now willing to turn from my sin. You said in your holy word, Romans 10, 9, that if we confess the Lord our God and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. Right now I confess Jesus as the Lord of my soul. With, with my heart I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. This, this very moment I accept Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior and according to His word right now I am saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your unlimited grace which has saved me from my sins. I thank you, Jesus, that your grace never leads to license, but rather it always leads to repentance. Therefore, Lord Jesus, transform my life so that I may bring glory and honor to you alone and not to myself. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and giving me eternal life. Amen. God bless you, Dylan. It's just moments after this tragedy. Hours. He didn't react from a place of physical weapons. He reacted from a place of the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He reacted from a place of that here is a lost young man who just committed an egregious act of violence, a horrible tragedy, a, a thing that will shake that city for, for probably years to come, they'll be talking about this. And yet his only concern was this young man hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Where's the church? Where are we?
Why, why don't we all react this way? When somebody does something against us, our first reaction is to come up, I'll get them, I'll get even, I'll do this, I'll do that. The last thing we do is turn to the Scripture. The last thing we do is turn to prayer. The last thing we do is turn to Christ and say, we need you, I need your help, we need you here. I'm going to pray for that individual. I'm going to do whatever is going on. We try to handle it on our own. We basically take what Jesus paid for on the cross and say, I'll give you a little bit of this, I'm going to keep this here for myself. I'll take care of this part as if we had the ability to do that. It's heartbreaking what happened. But I love that that church is meeting today. And they're celebrating the lives of those people, probably as we speak. We live in a, a, a physical world, but we do spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. They're there for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's a lot that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Lucifer tried to exalt himself to the place of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to understand that everything we do, the spiritualness that goes on behind the scenes, the things that we can't see, we can touch, feel, hear, all of that kind of stuff, and so we naturally react that way. But when it comes to doing battle with our enemy and doing the things that God needs us to do, it's going on in a way that we don't see it, and therefore we don't act upon it. And so I want to pray. As we start this series, and I told you this was going to be a little different today. As we start this series, I want to pray that the Lord gives us peace, that the Lord gives us strength, and that the Lord leads us through His Word on how we do battle with the enemy. So we do this right. But we need to be prepared. Because I promise that as we do this, as we, we get into this, the enemy is going to try to shake us. That's what he does. But our God is bigger. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for, first of all, for your son that, that died on the cross for us, that we can have forgiveness of our sins and have the promise of eternity with you and the right standing that we have in your eyes. We lift up this church and all the people affected by this tragedy, Lord, and we thank you that to the, the peace and comfort that only comes from you, that comes from the Holy Spirit, that is circling in their lives right now healing their hearts, healing the wounds, taking away the pain. And I trust, Lord, that you will be glorified in all of this, in this, this event, this tragedy. I, I thank you, Jesus, that your name will be exalted. Lord, we lift up Dylan. And we ask that you send people across his path. This lost young man needs to know the truth. We thank you, Father, that that you will make that happen, that you will send out people that can reach him, that can touch him, that can help him discover who you are, Lord. And Lord, I just lift up this church and everybody that, that professes to be a member as we get into this series. I thank you, Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that we are conquerors, that we are the head and not the tail, and that we can overcome all things because of you, not because of us, but because of you. 
I thank you that the enemy has no foothold in our lives and there's no place here, Lord. And I thank you that as we go, as we do this, you will lead us into all truth of the right way to deal with the, the things that are going on in this world. That you'll be honored and glorified in all of it, Lord, and that we will be more effective as ministers of the gospel for you, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing. We glorify your holy name. Amen. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be some time on this, but I, I believe it's powerful. But there's a lot of misconceptions about spiritual battle. And there's a lot of, just like there is anything, it's a lot of bad teaching. We're just going to let the Bible be our guide. So with that, we're going to get out of here. Happy Father's Day. Come down to the park. Come get some barbecue, because I have a lot. A lot. So anyway, you guys have a blessed week. We will see you guys Wednesday.